Welcome to the Rocky Messages Podcast. Rocky is a gathering of people that want to know Jesus and love like Him. If you hear something today that you'd like to know more about, you should check out our other podcast, Rocky Unscripted, where we take a topic and through conversation and study, we go a little bit deeper. And right now, let's join today's message. Amen. Sometimes I wonder if we've forgotten what it means to be Christian to be Christian. I, I don't know, sometimes I, I, I look around or even to be honest, look at my own life and I look at my own priorities or the priorities of what are perceived to be of, of the local church or the big C global church. Sometimes I just think, you know, have we, have we forgotten, you know, what it means to, to be Christian? I'm not talking about becoming a Christian. We, we talk about becoming a Christian quite a bit. And we talk about the gospel and, and we should, we, you know, if you talk about the gospel, we talk about this idea of, of believing. And yet I, I just wonder sometimes if we, if we overemphasize to, to a point that becomes unhealthy on the believing and, and neglect then the following, we, we, we so lean into the believing that that it's almost like we forget about the following. And hear me, don't walk out of here and go, oh, Matt's against, you know, believing in Jesus. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I mean, I, I preach the gospel and part of the gospel, one of the steps of your own spiritual formation is that somewhere along the way in your journey with Jesus, you will need to come to a conclusion of who he is. I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. I believe that Jesus is the son of God. At some point, you, you need to enter into belief and yet, and yet, you know, your, your spiritual journey is not just a, a, a one-time decision, that's it, and you walk away. I, for me, I, I've seen my own, you know, pursuit of Jesus and believing as a, as a lifelong journey. Not just one prayer, but thousands of, you know, prayers. So believing is important for sure. I mean, John three sixteen. this is the verse that we always go to. And if you didn't even grow up in church, you may have heard this, you know, verse before, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, what, believes. Whoever believes in him, Jesus is having a discussion with a Pharisee, Nicodemus. Nicodemus is trying to understand the whole gospel and Jesus is just trying to make it very clear. And he says, Nicodemus, you have to believe. And, and yeah, believing is a step in your spiritual formation. But even when you read through the New Testament, it's for a lot of people, not even the first step. It's a step, but for a whole lot of biblical characters, not even the first step. When you start reading through the gospel of Matthew, Matthew was there. He, he followed Jesus for three years and walked with Jesus, saw Jesus die, saw Jesus come back from the dead. Uh, Matthew records interactions between Jesus and his disciples way before they were even disciples. Matthew chapter four and verse 19, Jesus says this, come believe me. That's not what he said. Come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. Jesus begins recruiting his crew. I mean, a lot of these guys are fishermen. He says, come on, come, come follow you. Come follow me. You should come follow me. I'll, I'll change your whole life. If you come follow me or Matthew chapter nine, verse nine, this is Matthew's origin story says this, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. And what'd Jesus say? Follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him. You have stories of Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is leaning in with his guys and talking to them. What does it mean to be a disciple? And then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and do what? Follow me. Come follow me. Matthew uh, chapter 19, I love this story. It's a story of a young, rich ruler. That's what he's called. 
And he comes up to Jesus, very wealthy, very smart, comes up to Jesus and he says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus gives him a couple of filter questions. He knocks it out of the par. He's got all the answers. And then Jesus, knowing the man's heart, looks at him and says this, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Come follow me. Sometimes I wonder if we've forgotten what it means to be Christian because we so overemphasize the believing and kind of forget about the, the following. There's this healthy kind of tension between those two words. In fact, I run into this all the time as a, as a pastor. There's people coming into our church and what I love about our church, people come from all kinds of spiritual backgrounds. We don't, we don't live in the South. I don't know if you know that, but we don't live in the South. And so there's a kind of a melting pot of all kind of different church backgrounds, different kind of faith backgrounds. And I love interacting with that and, and talking and asking questions and learning. But there are people that come into our church that, that may even believe something different than what we believe. They go through our base camp class where we talk about our values as a church and what we believe to be the most important things. And I'll walk out of there and meet with people who attended and I'll sit down with them and they will say, hey, I don't agree with you in, in whatever you were talking about or I don't even believe you know, with, with what you said. One of my favorite couples around here at Fred, they're, they're an older couple, they're from New England and I, I grew up in New England. And so they tend to be a little feisty and, and kind of like cuss words a little bit more than you, okay? And so they went to base camp and, and they, they emailed me and they said, Matt, we wanna meet with you. And so they come from a Catholic background and so, did, so does my, my dad and his family as well because we grew up in New England. And so we sat down you know, in a auditorium and, and they said, we just do not agree. We do not believe what you believe about baptism. And I said, okay. And then they said this, can we go to church here? And I said, no, get out. And I, no, no, I said, yeah, yeah, you can. And they said, really, we can, we can go to church here? I said, yeah, I hope you do. I hope you continue to go to church here. I hope you get in a group and I hope you, I hope you start serving. Because here's what I think. I think, because of what I believe, I think that Jesus would call you to get baptized after you become aware of who Jesus is. I totally get it why your parents would, would baptize you as an infant because if in your theology, that means that your kids wouldn't go to hell, you would baptize your kids too. So I totally get it. But if you're asking me what I believe, I think you should get baptized now that you're an adult and you're very aware of, of who Jesus is and what he did for you. So yes, I think you should get baptized. Uh, and, you're, and here's what I think. I think if you follow Jesus, I think the deeper you get or the closer you get to Jesus, eventually you will come to a conclusion that you should get baptized too. And they looked at me right in the face and they said, we will never get baptized at this church. And I said, we'll see. <laughs> two years later at a service just like this, we're preaching about baptism. And one of the two in that couple came walking down after service, crying, saying the F word. Okay, you, you effing did it. You know, they're just crying. I go, what's going on? What happened? You go, I got to get baptized. And I said, I know, isn't that crazy? See, sometimes I wonder, even just as a church, you know, as a church strategy, instead of having arguments and fights about what people should believe, we just call them to follow. I have nothing to hide. I love as a pastor, when, when people ask me, would you let so-and-so attend your church? Yes. Well, what about those people? Yes. Well, isn't it gonna be, you know, a little bit awkward? I don't care. The closer people get to Jesus, the better opportunity they realize of who Jesus is. 
Sometimes we need to let Jesus be Jesus, you know? It's fine. You believe something different than me. The closer you get, we have nothing to hide as a church or as people who believe in God. There's no secret we're trying to cover. He is who he said he is. And yet I totally get it why as a church we tend to overemphasize on the believing because this really used to be the main church you know, strategy over the last 30, 40 years. I mean, the church I grew up in, the gospel presentation, I mean, it kind of went something like this. And we used to be really weird and creepy, right? We'd knock on your door, you know, and then you'd open it and we'd be like, hey, do you know where you're gonna go when you die? And people are like, no, I don't, I don't know. Do you wanna go to hell? No, I don't wanna go to hell, okay. Say this prayer after me, dear God, dear God, I believe, I believe that your son died for my sin, that your son died for my sin, amen. And then we said, you're good. And we just went to the next house. I mean, that is like 100% believing, and they didn't really believe, they just didn't wanna go to hell. It had nothing to do with following. We just kinda left them there. Like we don't, we don't really care about you and your own spiritual formation, your own discipleship and following Jesus. We just want ourselves to feel good that one more person, you know, isn't going to hell. And the church over time has kind of kept taking this, the following ship, you know, kind of out of our church theology. And yet this wasn't the case 2000 years ago. This was, this was not, the case, this idea or that kind of presentation I just gave to you would have been foreign to the disciples in the first and second century. They wouldn't have really understood kind of what you were talking about because I'm telling you following was an incredibly important idea in being Christian. And because of our approach, you know, as a church over at least my lifetime, we have slowly kind of reduced Jesus's role to strictly savior. And he is a savior, but he's also much more than that. And somebody, somebody in here is like, prove it, I will. Okay, I'm glad you're here, I will prove it. Let me ask you a question. All right, here's a question. For those of you who grew up in church, a little, little you know, Bible trivia question, okay? It's not a trick question either, but here it is. What is the word, what is the word most commonly associated with Jesus in the New Testament? Do you know what it is? It's not a trick question. What is the word that's most commonly associated with Jesus in the New Testament? You know what it is? Here's what it is. It's the word Christ. It's the word Christ. Christ is the word that is, that, is, that is, you know, just about all the time a reference to Jesus. And it's not a trick question, but it is Christ. And in first and second century, that word Christ, it meant something. It came with some healthy weight and even some emotion. But here's the deal, because of our English language, we have lost some of that. We, we live in a culture that is not like Rome, for sure. We are distant from that world. And in our world, this word Christ, we've kind of morphed it into, you know, essentially it is a reminder when you hear the word Christ, oh, we're talking about Jesus because it's Jesus Christ. And for some of you, the only time you say Christ is when you stub your toe or somebody cuts you off. It has found its way into our vocabulary as a swear word. And yeah, this is what I love all the time. People who know nothing about Jesus will drop his name. And they, you know, when they're upset or frustrated or angry, they have no idea what they're saying. What they think they're saying is, they think they're saying the name of a guy whose first name is Jesus and whose last name is Christ. 
But friends, his last name is not Christ. It's not. Christ is not a last name. Christ, what we're saying here, this is a title. This is a position. The word Christ comes from a Hebrew word that carries the idea of of something like this. Someone who is anointed. Or even more specifically, an anointed king. Or even more specifically, God's anointed king. When you see the, the, you know, the term Christ, what we're saying is this is Jesus, God's anointed king. This is his title, not his last name, which means that whenever we use the word Christ, we are speaking to the authority and position of Jesus. I, I was at a conference last year where Andy Stanley was talking about this whole idea of being Christian, and he dropped something that just went deep into my soul, and it has not come out in a year. It just lives in here. And and here's what he said in the middle of his talk. He said this, save is what he does, talking about Jesus, but king is who he is. Save is what he does. And I'm glad he does it. Save is what he does, but king is who he is. And unfortunately, here's the deal. In our culture, because of the way we view the word Christ, we get none of the king stuff. The king stuff has kind of filtered away. So consequently, the, the idea of Jesus being our final authority has drifted out of our theology in church culture. And I think it is a very, very big deal. It's a very big deal. Because if we don't elevate the authority and kingship of Jesus, we risk forgetting, I think, what it means to be Christian. That's why we're doing this this whole series. We've entitled it, Why? We're working through the values of our church. Values drive behavior. And the value we're talking about today is first things first, meaning we think that Jesus would be the most important thing in your life and in all areas of your life. We, We tag it like this. First things first. We put Jesus above everything else, knowing that when we put first things first, everything else falls into place. We got this language from a quote from C.S. Lewis who says this, put first things first and second things are thrown in, put second things first and you lose first and second things. Confession time, for many of us, not all of us, but for many of us, the past seven days, my guess is that Jesus was not always first. The way that you would be able to tell is that if you went back and and kind of assessed how you manage your time, your money, your, your words, your actions, you would be quickly begin to see by following what was your first priority. If you had somebody who was following you the last seven days who didn't even know you, but they had access to your decision-making and your words and your money and your time, would they come to a conclusion that there is something different about you? Or are you just kind of falling in with the rest of the world, that your priorities are very similar to their priorities? You can say one thing, that, oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus is at the top, but at the end of the day, even Jesus would say this, let's follow the money. Jesus would say, let's follow the words, because the words will lead us back to their heart. Would that person walk away after assessing you over the last seven days and go, there's something different? They are an encourager. There's something different. I see how they manage their time. There's something different. They are very generous with what they have been given. I see them. They they are willing to slow down to serve somebody who is in need, even though there's a million things that are demanding their attention. 
Confession, most of us, it's not Jesus. We, we like to say it is, but if you follow how we've lived, you would probably come to a different conclusion. And yet, as a church, we should be Christian. And we need to be a church that keeps first things first. And, and, and here's, here's why. Here's why. When Jesus was crucified, going back to the story of Easter, at, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, there is no Christians. There is no church. In fact, most of the guys and girls that were following him for the previous three years left him. When he begins going through the judicial process and gets arrested and they're out of there because the religious leaders of the day had conspired with Rome to have Jesus murdered. And this was the guy, I mean, this is the best guy they had ever known. A guy who was not supposed to die because he uh, supposedly... He was a king. And yet within 24 24 hours, Jesus is arrested and crucified. And all of his disciples up to that point were in shock because in their mind, there was no way this could ever happen. In fact, just a couple of days earlier, Jesus and his crew is coming into Jerusalem for Passover week. The crowd is growing. The closer he gets to Jerusalem, he enters Jerusalem as like a, as like a, you know, a general who has conquered the world. I mean, people are lining up outside the city walls. They are chanting his name. They are yelling, Hosanna. And the disciples are walking in. And here's what they're thinking. This is it. We've got all the momentum. Jesus is going to announce essentially his kingship. He's going to establish his kingdom. And they're thinking, winning. That's what they're thinking. We're winning. This is about to happen. Boys, we're about to be rich. We're about to have power. We're about to be in charge. Our king, our general is coming into Jerusalem and he's going to take it over. And we, we are going to be the ones. This is what we've been waiting for, you know. And a couple of days later, their king is hanging on a cross. The king is dead. And the, and the movement ends. It stops. There's nobody waiting in some you know, corner of Jerusalem going, oh yeah, this is, this is exactly how we wanted to go. No, no, no. The movement stops. There's no talk of, of Jesus anymore the day after he is crucified. And, he, and here's why. And if you're not a Christian or you know, you've, been, you've got some church hurt, you, had a, you, know, you, you, just, you got questions or you know, you've got a bunch of why questions about God or you used to be a person of faith and now you're not or you walked away. Here, here's the thing. And we don't talk about this enough. So, so just you know, entertain me a little bit. Think about this. Why would Jesus, when, when he's leading this movement, you know, this groundswell, I mean, incredible momentum, he's going into Jerusalem, they are treating him like a king, and the moment he dies, it's over. See, what, what we don't realize with Jesus is that when he called people to follow him, he did not call them to follow his ideas. He taught, make no mistake, but he didn't even really call them to follow his teachings. A lot of times the disciples didn't even understand his teachings. This was, there's this one time Jesus is teaching to what the story tells us to like hundreds of disciples. He starts saying weird stuff like drinking blood and all this kind of stuff. And people begin to leave. And his disciples essentially come up to Jesus and go, could you clean that up a little bit? This is, we don't, like they're asking us questions. We don't even understand what you're saying, you know? To which Jesus would say, are you going to leave too? You know, he did not call them to follow his teaching. He called them to follow 
him. It was personal. It was relational. He said, no, no, you come follow me. He asked them to buy into him, which is why when he died, the movement died. Which is why when he died, there was no church. There were no Christians. In their mind, and this is how they even wrote the story, they told the truth, that when Jesus was crucified and put in the tomb, they thought it's over and Rome had won. End of story. And yet, you know that can't really be the end of the story because if that was the end of the story, then why are you here? Why does the church still exist? Why are we gathered together? Wouldn't that be like really depressing? Hey, the guy who launched this deal, who claimed to be the son of God and a king and developed his own kingdom, he died and it ended. And yeah, we we know that's not the end of the story. It can't be the end of the story. Here's what happened is that their king who had died, three days later came back from the dead. He comes back from the dead, the king. Now, don't miss this as well. The thing that got Jesus crucified really wasn't even about what he taught or what he said specifically in his teachings. What got him crucified is who he claimed to be. You see this in Matthew chapter 27. This is in the midst of his crucifixion. He is hanging on the cross. Look what it says. And above his head, they placed a written charge against him. This is Jesus, the who? The king. King of the Jews, he was crucified because he was a threat to Rome because he claimed to be a king and 2000 years ago in the Roman empire, that was not good. He was a king and it got him murdered. But the reason why people followed him was because he was a king. It was because who he claimed to be. And then, Nobody saw it coming, even though they should have because Jesus talked about it. The king who was dead hanging on the cross all of a sudden is alive and begins to appear to his disciples. And of all the ways, you know, I love how he appears. If you don't think Jesus has a sense of humor, you should, you know, this is, he dies. And then look what he says. This is Matthew chapter 28. The ladies have run to the tomb. He appears to these ladies. Look what he says, verse 9. And suddenly Jesus met them and said, greetings. (laughs) What's up? What do you mean, what's up, dude? We just saw you die, you know? He's like, hey, look at their response. They came to him, clasped his feet, and did what? Worship him. Why'd they worship him? Because he's a king. He's a king. He was a dead king, and now he's alive. And suddenly, and suddenly, And the most like, the worst day in the lives of these disciples, and suddenly Jesus begins to connect the dots because of the resurrection. Everything that Jesus taught, everything that Jesus said, everything that Jesus claimed to be, now it all begins to make sense to the disciples. Jesus has defeated death. He has forgiven the sins of the world. And in a moment, the the movement is reignited and these disciples, I mean, they, they go from being the wimpiest dudes in the world to on literally fire. Begin to move the church, the kingdom of God forward. Because Jesus proved that in fact, 
He was a king. And he wasn't just any normal or average king. He was a king who came to die for his subjects instead of his subjects having to die for him. He plays it totally different. I mean, his resurrection, he gave these disciples a reason to believe that this king was worth following because, again, no king had ever come back from the dead. This is what makes our king so unique because there's no other king like our king. There's no other king who would wash his own disciples' feet, but that's what our king did. There's no other king who would prepare a table for his enemies, but our king did. There is no other king who would touch a leper, Jesus Christ did. No other king would open his arms and let the outcast come in, but that's exactly what Jesus did. No other king would respond with mercy in the face of your sin and my sin, and yet Jesus did. No other king would allow himself to be slaughtered, our king did. No other king would take up a cross and choose to die beside two thieves, this king did. No other king would give his life for you and for me, but our king did. There's no other king like our king. And here's the deal. You get to decide in this lifetime if you will follow this king. That is your choice. You get to decide. For many of us, we have made that decision, but everybody will have to decide that in the context of this life. Is that king worth following? Do I believe that that king is who he says he is? Am I going to follow that king? Everybody on this planet gets to make that decision, but you do not get to decide what following Jesus looks like and sounds like. You do not get to decide that. And that is going counterculture to the world we live in right now. Oh, you're a follower of Jesus? Yeah, 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 you can kind of do whatever you want. Not so, not so. This is not your kingdom. This is his kingdom and Jesus is the king. And he has already demonstrated to us what it looks like and sounds like and we should be acting like in the context of his kingdom. So let me just ask you this, for those of us who are already, you know, we're Christians, we're followers of Jesus. Do you know what following Jesus sounds like and looks like? This is gonna blow your mind. It sounds like and looks like Jesus. When Jesus was on this planet and he's walking around with his disciples, they are viewing him as a rabbi and the teacher. Their role as apprentices and looking at their rabbi is to become just like their rabbi. We are striving to be like him and to talk like him and to act like him. This is why for those of us who are followers of Jesus, this week we should be spending more time with him, not less, so that we know what he looks like and acts like and sounds like. Because to be Christian is to be following Jesus. And being a Christian sounds like and looks like and acts like Jesus. And do you know, I love this, but do you know who people who do not know Jesus expect you and I to act like and look like and talk like? They wouldn't say it like this. They'll throw different words at us, like you're hypocrites and all this. They, they, they expect us to look like Jesus. They expect us to talk like and act like Jesus, it would make sense. If we are followers of him, then shouldn't there be something different about how you and I live? For goodness sakes, that's how we got our title as Christians, by acting like and sounding like Jesus. In the story of the early church through the book of Acts, Acts chapter 11, Paul and Barnabas are in Antioch. They're teaching at the local church. They're 300 miles away from Jerusalem. They got a cool thing going. The church is growing. They're teaching. 
People are, you know, responding to Jesus, they're believing and they're following and people who don't, you know, who aren't part of the movement yet, the outsiders that are looking on the inside are going, what is this? What do we call this? This is new, this is unique, this is, this is different. And they kind of get together and they go, oh, well, what they're doing, the reason why they're doing what they're doing or the reason why they're acting or sounding like, you know, how they act and sound like is because they are following a new king. Oh, what's his name? They go, wait, they're following the Christ. They're following Jesus Christ. And they go, well, we'll just brand them Christians then. If that's who they're following. We got our title from who we were following. And because Jesus was their king, their lives looked extremely different than the people around them. So here's the deal. The name of our church, you know what it is? Rocky Mountain Christian Church, to which I, you know, I was joking around today, we should call it Rocky Mountain Be Christian Church. That's what we should call it. We're Christians. We should be Christian. We are Rocky Mountain Be Christian Church, which means that of all the priorities and important things in our life, if Jesus truly is our King, then He should be at the top. And we should be inviting and allowing and giving Him His authority and power to speak into not just some areas of our life, but all areas of our life. Pick any topic. Pick one. I wrote down a couple. Words, actions, leadership, time, relationships, business, entertainment, sexuality, finances. If Jesus is our king, then we should be going to the king and going, what do you have to say about this king? What would you do with this king? And we allow the king to enter in and speak into our lives knowing that he's not always going to say what you want him to say and that's okay because this is his kingdom, not yours. Parents, come on, you get this. In your house, who's the king and the queen? Not your kids. If it is, your kingdom is crazy. You're the king. You're the queen. You know more than your kids because you've been around so much longer than them. And as they continue to grow, don't they hit a phase where they think they know more than you? Do they know more than you? No. No, they do not. And they begin to think that this is their kingdom. It's not, it's yours. In the context of this kingdom, this is God's. It is not yours. And if he is our king, then we trust him. Even when he leans in and says something that potentially we may not even believe, but we go with it. How could we not? He was a king who was dead and now is alive. It's his kingdom. It's his kingdom. And we give him access, not just to some, but all areas of our life. Okay, I'll end with this. Matthew, Matthew chapter six, Jesus is preaching one of his most famous sermons. He's on, the, he's on the mound, he's teaching and he's just getting after it. And he gets to this place, Matthew chapter six, Verse 33, now when he's talking to to the crowd, it's in the midst of, it's a priority conversation. Because, you know, 2,000 years ago, we don't feel this tension, they would have, most of us today have clothes on, good job. 
Most of us today, you know, uh, last night slept in a house. Good job. Most of us today have food to eat. Good job. Okay. Now, that wasn't always the case a couple thousand years ago. And so in the crowd, there's this tension where the crowd's essentially saying to Jesus, if you're the king, then, then, then how are you going to take care of all these things in our life? How, how are you going to give us food? How, how are you going to give us clothing? How, how are you going to give us shelter, right? It was kind of like if Jesus was running for the presidency, we were saying, what's your, gonna, what's your campaign motto? Jesus is in the midst. He's having these conversations. He's teaching. And then he says this, verse, verse 33. He goes, listen, listen, I'm going to take care of that. It's going to happen, blah, blah, blah. But then he says this, verse 33. But here's the deal. Seek first. First. Not second, not third, not fourth. Seek first. Whose kingdom? His kingdom. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then look, everything else is going to fall into play. If you're going to follow me, I, you live in a world that is going to be consumed with all of these things. But friends, these are not the most important things. The most important thing is the ushering of the, of the kingdom of God out of heaven into earth. You will not be consumed and be worried about what you're going to eat or where you're going to sleep. You're going to be consumed by a different set of heavenly values. Things like loving and serving, and generosity, and justice, and righteousness. You're going to be Christian in the kingdom of God. Seek first His, His kingdom. His kingdom. So what would happen? I was just thinking about this week, okay? Humor me. If you're like, that's the dumbest idea ever, just don't tell me. All right, but I'm just thinking about it. I mean, what would happen if there, if there was a group of people that allowed Jesus, asked Jesus, put Jesus in the position of king in their life? This is my king. And I am his follower in his kingdom. I think maybe one of the main reasons why I'm a Christian, why I'm a follower of Jesus in his kingdom today is because, you know, 25 years ago when, when my father passed away and I wanted nothing to do with God and I'm standing out in the back porch saying to my grandfather, this is what it's like to be, to be a Christian and I want nothing to do with this Christ. I don't want to follow this king if this is what it's like to be in his kingdom. And for the next six years, you know what I did? I watched the people around me be Christian. I'm a person of faith today because I watched my mom go through an incredibly difficult moment in her life and she grabbed onto the feet of Jesus and worshiped him and she'd be Christian. And I watched her. I had small group leaders at my church when I said I wanted nothing to do with youth group, for a couple of years, they drove to my house, 30 minutes out of the way, they drove to my house and they said, get your butt in the car. And they drove me to church every Wednesday night because they'd be Christian. I had a student pastor who just was walked with me and allowed me to say things that I, I can't even believe he allowed me to say where we would meet and he'd go, what's, Matt, what's on your heart and, and your mind? And I would just blaspheme God. And he loved me 
because he'd be Christian. Number one value in the kingdom of God, John 13, John 15, right before Jesus goes to the cross, he sits with his disciples and he says, boys, here's the most important thing. I will know you are my disciple. I will know you are my followers by how you love people. Paul would say like this, of all the things, you know, faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. It's what sets us apart in our kingdom. Doesn't matter who you are or where you come from, we love you because Jesus loved us first. The disciples 2,000 years ago, that's all they had. That's all they had was some teachings from Jesus, most importantly, the one about his kingdom and his love. And they put Jesus in the spot of king in their life. He held all authority and position. They gave him access to everything in their life. And they went and they lived the remainder of their life worshiping their risen king. And it changed the world. Changed the world. There was no mistaking that Jesus was their king. I think if there was a group of people who would allow Jesus to be the king and live a, love, live a life of love, not fear, to live a life of love and to love people who may never love them back. Wouldn't it be so easy to love people if they just love you back? That's heaven. We'll get there one day. In the meantime, we got a king. And in his kingdom, he says to you and me, live a life worthy of the gospel by how you love, by how you serve, by how you choose to be generous with what you've been given. You are going to play different because you are following a king who died and came back from the dead. So church, come on, first things first. First things first, Rocky Mountain, be Christian church, you know. Let's be Christian. Let's be Christian. And as we do, our community is filled with people who are watching. They're watching. They don't know what question to ask, but they're watching. We know the answer. We live how we live because of who we follow. Jesus, the King. Jesus, Christ. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you this morning that nobody loves us more than you, that you demonstrated your love for us way before we loved you. And so I pray that you would do the deep dive into our souls this morning. You would see the areas of our life that you have access to and others that we refuse. Out of fear, out of anxiety, maybe even out of worry, maybe out of shame or even guilt. But today we would allow you to be in the position of king, that we would welcome your leadership and your guidance. We would welcome your teaching and receive it with the authority of who you are. 
And even when it creates tension in our lives, we go with you because we know you know best. Encourage us this week to keep first things first, not just in some, but all areas of our life that we may choose to live in your kingdom with values of love and generosity and service and and justice, that we would stand up for the less fortunate, that we would serve of the abundance of what we have been given, that people who know nothing about you would look at us and go, oh, I get it. They, they must be followers of the Christ. They're, they're Christians. That's why they're here. That's why they're giving. That's why they're doing and living the way that they live. Help us to be that church. Help us to be those followers, followers who, who believe but then are living out the rest of our days following and running after the King. We give you the day, we give you the week. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, the King, amen.